Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Storytime, where we talk about all things real estate. I'm your host, Saad Munir. Today, I have my friend and investment advisor, Asad Pervez of Hoopo Advisors, joining me. I've personally invested with them. They're Boston-based, and they are a preferred partner of mine as well. They do awesome work when it comes to helping folks organize their finances from retirement to insurances to tax planning, and they've even been proficient in the alternative investment area. With that, welcome to Storytime, Asad. For the folks tuning in, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Hi, Todd. Thank you so much for having me over at the podcast. Um, so from background, I actually started my journey in engineering. So I come from a tech background, and uh, I studied electrical and electronics engineering uh, in India. Now over there, I worked for a couple of years. I worked at a couple of startups. One of them, uh, after I left, got acquired at a billion-dollar valuation. And uh, then I moved to the U.S. to do my master's. I did a master's in international business. I did a master's in data science. And I studied commercial real estate and finance from MIT School of Architecture and Planning. Now, in the in, you know, in between all of this, you know, I stayed tied up with tech. I also stepped uh, into the financial world, world working with Hoopo uh, during my graduate years. And then I joined Hoopo full-time since then. Uh, at Hoopo, uh, we are, you know, as you, as you introduced us, we are a full service wealth manager and uh, currently we manage around 400 to $500 billion in with assets under management. We, uh, we have a real estate division. We have, we invest in public and private equities. So, uh, so that's the whole picture. Now, Asad, on that note, financial wellness, right? Financial wellness is something a lot of folks tend to focus on as a new year kicks off. So naturally talking about it, uh, about some of the planning folks can do now in 2024, given the current environment, especially, I thought would be both timely and valuable for folks. You know this, and I've shared this on a previous episode as well, but I started my career as a financial advisor, and that's where I personally started learning two main things. One, what to do with my own finances and where slash how I should invest and allocate my money. And two, as I worked with my clients, I noticed a huge chunk of their net worth was sitting in real estate. And we'll talk about the real estate piece a bit in detail uh, later, but on that second point, do you still see that today? So that's true, actually. So whenever we sit down with clients and we start listing out all their assets and their liabilities, what actually comes up most of the time is that the larger investment is in their primary residence. And that's also something that houses the largest liability or the mortgage on it. Apart from that, most people tend to have a 401k or 403b or 
IRA, some retirement accounts they have been contributing to, but they can't really touch that before 59 and a half, I still need to pay some sort of penalty on it. Uh, apart from that, some people have tried to invest uh, yeah. in the public equity markets. So they do invest in, uh, let's say, Robinhood or Charles Schwab's. Uh, but without an investment advisor, it becomes very difficult for someone to try and come up with a good investment strategies. Sometimes it is possible or people do seek out help of different advisors at different firms. But uh, many there have been cases where we've seen that these investment portfolios that they come up with, uh, they're largely invested in mutual funds or some, or, or other kind of securities right. in a very passive manner. Yeah, and I also hear, I mean, you hear a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, financial gurus on social media these days, too. They talk about, oh, you just invest in an in 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 ETF tied to tied to the index or something like that, and then you'll be good, right? And that this is how much you would have made if you just tied it to the index. But like you said, I mean, it's sometimes not good enough just to, I mean, not just sometimes, it isn't good enough just to tie it to an index. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, again, it depends on uh, the individual clients uh, because uh, because the good thing about the index is that historically speaking, the index has always been rising. So if you didn't just invest in the S and P five hundred, there has been you know uh, there was this a very famous bet that Warren Buffett uh, made with hedge fund managers, saying that uh, saying that his one equity selection or one uh, one security selection is going to beat any hedge fund out there. And uh, the only security he picked was the S&P 500. Now, mm. uh, and he won that bet. I think he bet a million dollars on this. Uh, so, so he didn't win that bet. Now, now that's true. However, uh, on the long-term horizon, the, the issue with the S&P 500 is that you're also exposed to something known as systematic risk. So you're exposed to the market risk on and on. Now, when you bring in other kind of investments and you're more uh, careful with uh, or more uh, particular with the kind of equity and securities are investing in, you can control and mitigate a whole lot of risk. Also try, uh, and you'll be able to try and make many uh, good returns on more promising industry instead of blindly investing across the board. Definitely. Definitely. Makes sense. Thanks for walking us through that. So let's take, let's set the stage before we get into the meat of the discussion, right? Let's set the stage with some stats for 2023. Um, the, the first thing I want to bring up, the average American household has $9,800 in credit card debt. Uh, we know that in the US, credit card debt in particular, debt in general, but credit card debt in particular uh, is is quite high. And what was some of the highest in the world, if not the highest in the world. And that's a slight increase from 2022. Total student loan debt in the United States has reached $1.75 trillion with over 43 million borrowers, right? So tons of people, are burdened with student loan debt, even into kind of like their middle ages, right? Uh, only about 36% of Americans have enough emergency savings to cover three months of expenses. Uh, that's obviously a quite high number. Uh, only about 33% of Americans are considered financially literate. That's something I talk about quite a, quite a lot, is that like the lack of education, financial education, the, the lack in, in primary school and even in, in even undergrad and in, in graduate schools too is, is really lacking. And this seems woefully low to me. And I think a big part of it is that financial wellness, planning, literacy, they're just not taught at any point in, in, in a person's youth. And, and I think that's why it's important when you do get uh, when you do get the opportunity, when you have your own money, you're earning your own uh, your your own way. You have a job, you have a family to employ the services of a financial advisor. Um, 
No, the next thing I want to mention, only about 57% of Americans have a retirement savings plan, such as, as you mentioned, a 401k or an IRA. Uh, about 55% of Americans report feeling stressed about their finances. Uh, that is not surprising to me at all, as I'm, I'm sure that's the case for you as well. The median net worth of Americans in 2023 is $192,900. So 50% of the, uh, are above this and 50% are below that number. Much more representative that, I mean, that number, I believe, is much more representative than the average, as that number is skewed by the wealthiest Americans, right? Like the, the average net worth is way, way higher than that. Um, in 2023, the last thing I want to mention was home equity accounted for approximately 30.2% of the average American household's net worth. Um, home equity is the difference between, of course, the market value of a home and the amount of outstanding mortgage debt. Um, any of that surprise you or anything that you want to add here, Asad? No, it's not that surprising at all because uh, now going, because you threw some numbers uh, out there. Now, if you actually log into census.gov and you look at the government uh, reports, what you actually see is that when you split these median values by demographic, by demographics, the numbers are even more surprising because uh, as right. for the 2019 census, the average non-Hispanic white household had a median net worth wealth of $187,000, but an, a median black household only had $15,000. Hmm. And that actually ties up to what you were saying before, that the disparity when it comes to education, quality education, uh, both in terms of general schooling, op education opportunities, job opportunities, and at the same time, uh, financial literacy, uh, it's, uh, th there's a, there's a massive, uh, yeah, for, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, ignorance. There's a gap. Gap, gap and ignorance out there in the community. And, uh, and that's, right. and that's something, you know, we really need to work hard, uh, hard on and, uh, and finance, the good thing about finance is that the opportunities for it is across the board. It's just the information and knowledge about those opportunities and about, about the different things you could do with your money and the, and your resources. That's what's actually missing. Right. And, and, and I think you had mentioned, uh, as I was reviewing the notes, like you had mentioned something about hardship loans and withdrawals. Uh, like those are at like a high right now in, compared to like the recent past as well. Is that right? Yes, that, that is right. So hardship, uh, so hardship withdrawals have been up 33% uh, last year, uh, in fact, this year in 2023, since last year uh, from 401ks and retirement plans. What that actually means is that people have completely exhausted their liquid assets in their banks and any other savings that they have. And now they have gone ahead and made early withdrawals from their 401ks and their retirement plans because that's the only place they actually had any savings. So, so, so that, that, is a, that is a really shocking number uh, that we have for this. Yeah, year. it is. It is. And, and do you attribute that to like inflation and salaries, especially just not keeping up with it? Or is it a lack of guidance? Like people just not planning properly? Or is it a mix of all of that? It's, it's a mix of all of that. Now, uh, again, uh, there are many theories out there by different economists. And, uh, and one economist I particularly follow, Raghuram Rajan, who is a professor at the University of Chicago, uh, Booth of, uh, of Economics. And, uh, and, he, and he, he's a very accredited uh, professor. He's also served as uh, the governor on the Reserve, Reserve Bank of India. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and he identifies two main roles here. So one, uh, minimum wage hasn't actually kept up with inflation. So inflation has outpaced minimum wage 
uh, significantly over the last 30 to 40 years. Now, now early on, maybe a few decades ago, this, uh, this gap uh, of pace wasn't felt uh, in the economy, but today definitely is, especially with the rising population uh, and income disparity. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, is that now there, there, there are three pillars which uh, he's identified. Now, the first pillar is the state, the second is the market, and the third pillar is the community. Now, what has happened is that the power and control that the community had over governing its affairs financially and economically has been uh, has just gone into the hands of large co- uh, large organizations, corporations, and uh, and government bodies. And because of that, uh, state and market have one. You know, you will see an increase in GDP in a country, and you will see uh, you know uh, higher, uh, really high education and literacy rate in the country. But on a community level, you see that the communities are still very, very uh, backward and they don't actually, uh, you know, mirror the image and the representation that the growth in state and market has been showing, has been giving us. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, there's a, I mean, we could, we could talk about that to a blue in the face, right? So like, but, but before we yeah. kind of, before we get into the, uh, the, the, uh, I want to kind of throw a few questions at you and, and to, to help our listeners kind of, you know, learn a little bit and also kind of dive deeper into their own finances. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll delve, in, delve into your tips, tricks, and things to keep in mind when it comes to financial wellness. Hey everyone, Saad here from Storytime. I hope you're enjoying all the talk about real estate. I absolutely love it and I have been having a ton of fun putting these together for you. If you're liking what you're hearing or even if you've learned something new, one thing that would be super helpful is if you would leave a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a ton to us. It helps us reach more people and build a community of real estate enthusiasts. Also, If you have any real estate questions, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me through my Instagram handle. That's Saad Munir. I'm easily searchable, but S-A-A-D-M-U-N-1-R. The I is a one. And I might even be able to answer your question in a future episode. Thanks again for tuning into Storytime. Welcome back to Storytime. Today, we're talking about financial wellness with my friend and Tory partner, Asad Pervez of Hoopo Advisors. Asad, let's go through a bunch of questions related to financial wellness. Uh, I want listeners to get your take on all of these since you deal with these every day. Ready? Yeah. All right. So number one, what's the first thing you would tell folks to focus on if they decided today that they want to get their financial life in order? I know every situation is different, right? Uh, But is there one thing or maybe there are two things you feel they should focus on first and foremost? Uh, Yes, actually. So if you you want to figure out where you stand in your financial uh, health, uh, so to speak, there are two things you need to figure out. Now, the first is your balance sheet. Our balance sheet is all your assets and all your liabilities. So your house is an asset, all your retirement accounts are your assets, all your investment accounts are your assets, the, uh, the, ba- the cash the bank is your asset. Uh, your investment properties are also your assets. So you, you may have a property, here you may have a property of shows, they're all assets. Then comes liabilities, and your liabilities are all the loans uh, that you owe. Uh, so it could be your credit card loans, your mortgage, your car loans. And once you have 
a picture of both of them, your assets minus liabilities gives you your net worth. And that kind of gives you an idea of, uh, of what your financial uh, health is currently. Uh, the second thing is uh, your cash flow. Your cash flow are your income and your expenses. So figure out what your household income is and figure out what your household expenses are. And that gives you an idea of what your savings will be at the end of the year. And it's easy to project that uh, forward. You can, uh, you, you can keep doing this exercise, you know, projecting what your, what your income increases would be and what your uh, expense increases uh, would be. And that gives you an idea of your savings trajectory. And then you can plan for other things as in saving for maybe a new house or saving right. uh, you know, or contributing to investment accounts and growing those investments. Right. So basically like set the foundation first Correct. and then you can start to kind of think about investing and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So um, speaking about, you know, setting the foundation, excess cash, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one thing that gets dis like discussed a lot in financial circles, especially kind of like, you know, finance 101 or, or personal finance 101. Um, how many months do you think is good to have an emergency fund? Now, now, now that's a very subjective question because uh, in, in if, it all come boils down to what your cash flow is. Because uh, if you come from a, a household where you have a lot of income and very little expenses, so, uh, so it's okay to even have an emergency fund for just the next three, uh, next three months taking cash. Because an emergency fund is what I would say is, is the cash you should have at your bank right. and that should be accessible to you. And you can move the rest of it maybe into an investment account which is still accessible to you, but the idea is to in keep investing it and growing it. And, uh, right. and, and again, at any point, if you need that money, you can always set the securities and, uh, and, uh, and, and use it. So, so it's that saving gap between your income and expenses that kind of uh, is, is like a quick rule of thumb. Uh, of, uh, is a quick rule of thumb. If, you, if, you would, if your expenses are pretty high or, or you have very little savings left over at the end of the month, then it's always a wiser idea to have a much longer, uh, say, uh, emergency fund. So hope maybe in the range of four to six or six months or to even a year. So again, it depends on what your cash flow is at the at the end of the year. Right, right. And uh, and and just to quickly chime in here, I mean, obviously, I'm not the professional here, but I totally agree with you that it's not a cookie cutter approach. I remember in my financial advisory days, we were trained to tell everybody they need to have six months reserves. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, that for some people, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so it's good to hear you uh, say exactly that because I certainly don't keep six months reserves. Uh, but, uh, and now next piece, when it comes to investing, what's the easiest way to get started? Uh, let's start with like absolute must-haves that you need to kind of figure out before you can even start investing. Well, the easiest way is, uh, because you would use the word easiest, that is to get in touch with an investment advisor. Because an investment mm -hmm. advisor is a financial profession who will basically do all the legwork and all the thinking for you. And your only role is to make those decisions on whether to go forward with a certain strategy that the advisor uh, recommends you or, or maybe try and uh, do something else differently. So that's... Right. That's, and, and yeah. And so I was just going to say, like, that, so so that means like not just figuring out like uh, what to invest in, but also where to invest in, like what kind of accounts and all that kind of stuff. That's something a financial professional can help you figure out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, so so I had a teacher who said who had a saying that you either become a guru or you follow a guru. 
So, uh, so either you yourself get, uh, you know, educated well enough to understand, uh, your different options and understand investments in the markets and follow it uh, every single day, or you can defer all of that work to a financial professional and they can do all of that heavy lifting for you. Got it. Got it. So whether you're doing it with a financial professional like yourself, or you're choosing to do it on your own, what are kind of the pitfalls that people need to keep in mind as they go down their investment journey? No, that's a very important question because, you know, there are a lot of financial professionals out there. So, uh, so, 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 and you always need a certain level of trust to engage anyone to manage your wealth and your finances. Uh, but the one thing which I think everyone across the board should be educated on are the different kinds of risks that's involved with investments. Because having a fair and a good idea of risk can help you understand whether you should be more conservatively invested or you don't have to be as conservatively invested as you think you need to. Uh, I've seen clients who have who are sitting on over a million dollars, two million dollars, and uh, and it's either all in cash or CDs or money market funds. While uh, and uh, and they're high income families, so it's not that they needed that money uh, for any reason. So you don't have to go be that conservative either. Uh, but it's also important to understand risk because your whether you are investing in your you you are making your own portfolios or you have a financial advisor working on your portfolios. Uh, Different securities expose you to different risks. There's systematic risk, there's correlation risk, there's concentration risk. And these risks is, uh, kind of helps uh, mitigate your downside in down markets. So, for example, last year we had a year where the stock market fell by a whole lot. I mean, anyone who's read this blindly messed in the tech sector because the year before that, back in 2020, tech did really, really well. So people went ahead and invested in all these tech companies and tech stocks and Robinhood, and they did really well. So they, uh, so, and they felt confident about their investment decisions. But what they were unaware of is that they just exposed themselves uh, to a massive risk of not diversifying it into other uh, more stable and risk-averse uh, industries like consumer stables or consumer uh, or healthcare, for example. Now, what happened right. last year was that tech took the biggest set. And people started, people started, you know, people's portfolios were down 48%, 50%, 60% from the year before. So understanding risk and having a very good idea of uh, risk is something that's very, uh, that's very important for anyone who, who, who's trying to invest in, uh, in the market out there. hundred percent. And I think along with that, you alluded to it, like diversification is part of that, right? Obviously understanding your own risk tolerance is part okay. of that and attached to that is your timeline exactly right? like uh, if if you need the money in two years versus 20 years big difference so so having an understanding of that and what that means for your portfolio super super important and of course any good financial advisor financial professional will be able to walk you through all of that um, absolutely on that point and, i mean i mentioned yeah go ahead uh, and, and i and i just uh, add one more thing to it uh is that a good understanding of this also has uh also brings a good understanding of of, or let's just say having the right expectations from investment. Sometimes mm -hmm. people jump into investments thinking that they're going to double their money uh, in a matter of months or they're going to see a 20% return. Right. Or, but, but that's just not realistic. So that's why understanding risk is very important because it also helps you set expectations right for your investment. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we we hear it all the time, right? People think that you can get you can you can you know get rich overnight, and and a lot of these things that's not the case. So that's the exactly. case in real estate. It's also the case in in in, in proper sound investing in the markets as well. So exactly, hundred percent agree with you. Um, so I mentioned you know thinking like you know I use the timeline piece, and one of those things that uh, you know you have a longer horizon on. Most people have a uh, you know depending on your age, you might have a longer horizon on maybe something you're planning for right away uh, or in the near term. But that's retirement. Everyone talks about mm -hmm. retirement. A lot of companies offer 401ks, all that kind of stuff. So for beginners, any initial retirement tips that you would retirement planning tips you would give them. Uh, yes. So it's, you should always have some sort of a retirement strategy. And that's something that, uh, you know, that, that's something that could be offered to you from work, or you could be, uh, you know, a business owner, a young business owner. And then, uh, so be aware of the different options that, uh, that the government has given you and that you can uh, implement and also know about your contribution limit. So you don't want to over contribute to it. You don't want to contribute. Uh, uh, too little to it so that you're not taking advantage of the tax uh, savings that comes with contributing to uh, retirement plans. So, so for beginners, I would say, you know, again, it comes back to education, but learn about the different uh, retirement options you have. And at the same time, the contribution limits that these options uh, gives you. One other thing I'll add there uh, is like if you if you do have a 401k that's being offered to you by your company like like a lot of people do or a 403b or what have you and there happens to be a match make sure you maximize that match right like get yeah. as get as much of that as possible it's free um, money i know some yeah it's free money exactly so that's a that's a, a another kind of bonus tip for folks <laughs> that are listening um so for for let's talk about retirement planning uh from a tax perspective what, what do people need to think about from a tax savings perspective uh in retirement so i can talk about uh investment related options uh that also have tax beneficial elements to it now let's say you're not a business owner and uh and you've already maxed out all your different retirement options. You've maxed out your 401ks, you've maxed out your other uh, you know, retirement plans or, or any other strategies that you have. Something that you could do is also invest in real estate. Now, uh, now real estate investing uh, can uh, possibly give you uh, access to depreciations, accelerated depreciations that you can collect from properties. And those depreciations can reduce your, you know, the, the, the taxes that you eventually pay at the end of the year. So uh, sometimes uh, if you have different investment properties or you have other properties that you're renting out, uh, sometimes us just spouse could spend time on those properties and then file their taxes mm -hmm. as a real estate professional. And that lets you also uh, take, sort, um, take, take many about the line deductions uh, on, your, uh, on your tax return. Got it. Got it. So I imagine you also like, I mean, you, you, know, you work with all different types of clients and uh, families and what have you. I'm sure you work with a ton of business owners. Uh, what, like, and it, it, there must be tons of different planning strategies and things like that for folks like that as well. Uh, anything, any tips or general tips that you would you'd be, uh, you think is worth sharing for, for folks in that realm that, that own businesses? Well, you're, well, if you're a business owner, uh, you know, you of course have a lot of high earnings. Uh, and in, in this, in these cases, there are these additional, Retirement saving uh, opportunities or tax, uh, you could say, a tax strategic tax efficient uh, uh, opportunities that you can do 
uh, in the investment world. Now, of course, you can set up something uh, called a SEP IRA, which is for people who are self-employed. You can, uh, if, if let's say you have a really high income coming in uh, from your business, you can open up something known as a defined benefit plan. Now, this is a retirement plan where the contribution limits are calculated by actually sending you each your how much you can actually contribute to it. So mm -hmm. while the 401k contribution uh, would be like 2,000 and a half, the SEMP IRA could be around, uh, it's over 60,000, but a defined benefit plan uh, can, can and give you access to contributing hundreds of thousands towards your, uh, towards your retirement plans. So those are, those are some. Now, of course, like sometimes people send their businesses and they suddenly get this windfall of cash coming in and, uh, and which is, you know, uh, which is subject to taxes. Now, you could set up different uh, irrevocable trusts. You can set up charitable need trusts where you promise to pay a specific charity for an X number of years. And the IRS lets you take an upfront tax deduction for future donations in year zero. And uh, this charitable need trust is donated, uh, is donate, is donate, donates funds to charity and at the same time it's invested. So, uh, so it invests for, for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, there's a beneficiary at the other end, which could be you, which could be one of your kids. It's also uh, a strategic way of passing uh, your uh, your wealth to your to your heirs, and, um, and 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 similarly, you know, there's something like a CRT, it's a CRT, a charitable remainder trust, where where uh, where the where your beneficiary is the one that receives payments for an X number of years, and then uh, when the term of that trust ends, all of it can be to, uh, gets donated to a charity. Uh, uh, that you've decided on. So these are multiple so if, that you could. Yeah, you could and, 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 and that's kind of like the the kind of closing remark on that point I wanted to make is that if you are a business, if you're listening and you are a business owner, realize you have tons of options that most folks that do not, that are not business owners may not have. So it's very important to understand what those options are so you can take advantage of the ones that make sense for you and, and your goals and your family. Um, so, uh, so and we talked about, we talked about taxes briefly, but just generally when it comes to investing, uh, any other things or any other tidbits that you'd like to share about taxes and, and how to plan for them? So one, so a very popular fear that you see here in the United States is that death and taxes are certain. So, uh, so you can't actually avoid taxes. That's, uh, that's a misconception. Uh, you can be strategic as in when to get charged those taxes. So either tax, either you get taxed on your wealth uh, when it's received, or you can defer those taxes, like in the case of retirement um, uh, retirement accounts, where you contribute pre-tax and then you pay taxes when you finally withdraw from them. Now there, now sometimes uh, you might want to save money. Uh, let's say if you have children's education, and in those cases you can set up something known as five twenty nine plans. Now this is post tax, uh, so you don't save money for uh, save save on taxes when you contribute to your five twenty nine plans. But the growth in these five twenty nine plans are tax free. So you, if you have uh, a young kid and you just want to start setting money aside, let's say ten thousand dollars annually uh, for their future education expenses, then uh, then it makes sense to just set up a five twenty nine plan because any investments you do in these plans goes tax free. Uh, other possible uh, vehicles you can set up for minors is like UTMA accounts. Now these are minor accounts, so what? Uh, so uh, so the, the, so it gets taxed differently uh, up, uh, after a certain 
uh, with certain limits, uh, it gets taxed at a minus tax rate, which is on, or which is obviously lower than the guardian's tax rate. Now, one kind of account that many don't realize is out there is known as the donor advice fund. Uh, if you're an individual who consistently gives to charity or gives a, a few thousand dollars to charity uh, each year, well, you can set up something known as a donor advice fund. Now, it is an investment account which, uh, which you control and you can invest. And any money you move into that account, you can take a tax deduction for it. Now, advantage of the donor advice funds is that you can also donate stocks to your donor advice account. So if let's say you invested in Tesla a couple of years ago or NVIDIA, which saw crazy gains this year or, or, or Broadcom, you can donate uh, instead of selling that, uh, selling that stock and then being hit by capital gains taxes in your own personal account, you can donate that stock as is into your donor advice fund. And here you save taxes two ways. You save taxes on the, because, uh, on the, because you, you get a tax benefit on the value of the security at the time it was donated. And second, when you send the security in a donor advice fund, you don't pay taxes on the capital gains because that is considered as a charity account. And, uh, and the whole purpose of a donor advice fund is to pay out to different charities on a future date. So sometimes you can donate, uh, so even if you don't, uh, if, so even if you're planning on donating to charities on a future date, you can still donate uh, to your donor advice funds today and take advantage of these donations in this tax year. Uh, and then just choose to distribute them out to different charities next year. So donor advice funds uh, is, is, is a really good and strategic way to not only save on your taxes, uh, but also increase the impact of your donations because it is in the end an investment account. So you, whatever you, you put into it can invest and grow and pay dividends, which can again uh, help out charities and quality support. So if I understood that correctly, you can save taxes like you 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 can you have there's a pre-tax benefit as well as a benefit on the on the back end as well so if you have a security which has seen a lot of appreciation uh, in your investment account now and and if you spend that security in your investment account you get you get capital gains tax capital gains that, right. that's what you have to pay on it so when you donate to charities by just writing them a check or giving them cash. What you do is that you need to sell your security, give them, donate to that charity, uh, donate the cash, the proceeds to that charity, but the IRS system is going to come and tax you on the capital gains right. on that appreciated security. Uh, what you alternatively, what you could do is that you can donate that security into your donor advice. Now, what happens when you do that is that you you get you claim a uh, you know a tax deduction uh, on the value of the security, you know, with all its gains and appreciation at the time of when it was donated, and when you sell that security in a donor advice fund, they to then donate to a charity, you don't pay any capital gains tax on it, so you save up on taxes, uh, or you or you get it uh, or or you get a tax break when you. Uh, when you uh, when you when you donate to, to your donor advice fund, and you also don't pay taxes on the capital gains when the security is sold in your fund. That's fascinating. I didn't even, I never knew about that. Uh, uh, something that you and I will have to talk about a little bit more. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
But that's awesome. Read up on that stuff, guys. And uh, obviously reach out to Asad about if you have questions on that or anything else we discussed. Asad, a couple other questions uh, before we go to a quick highlight. Do you guys have clients investing in things like, I mean, I'm asking because these were kind of like all the rage over the last few years, especially on social media and what have you. Things like crypto and NFTs, uh, private equity. I know you guys do small companies. Uh, thoughts on those asset classes? So we do private equity. Uh, now again, I each, uh, every investment is different for, for, for different kinds of investors. Now private equity is something that may not be suitable for everyone because, uh, it, uh, because in private equity, you do have to part ways with your wealth for maybe five to 10 years. And right. uh, so you, there's a lot of illiquidity over there. And in exchange for that illiquidity, there's you know, potential high returns uh, that, that private equity brings. So that's, again, for more sophisticated and high net worth individuals. We don't invest uh, in crypto or NFTs uh, as of right now because uh, NFTs and cryptos aren't what you would say fundamental uh, investment strategies uh, in today's state. Uh, because it's very important that to whenever you pick a security to understand the fundamentals behind it and what's, what is giving that security its current valuation. A good case study was back in... Uh, November 2021, when Bitcoin peaked at $61,000, $64,000. And you have all sorts of experts coming on CNBC, coming on Bloomberg, uh, you know, writing that uh, Bitcoin is going to hit $100,000 by the end of that year. And it started in cash in the crypto market. Not only did it not beat $100,000, in just one year, crypto was, Bitcoin was down to 16000 so anyone who bought right. in at the peak lost 75% of, uh, of, the, uh, of all the investments within a year. So that, that's a lot of volatility to have in your, in, in your portfolio. So uh, now, now, if you, if, now if you want to compare it to a large cap blue chip companies or profitable companies, which have a demonstrated history of uh, making profit, uh, you know, being profitable of being resilient in these down markets and also finding their way back up. Uh, there is fundamentals behind it because you can assess those companies' balance sheets. You can assess their, uh, their leverage. You can understand their business model, business models. Uh, so because we, we tend to be on the more conservative side when we invest for our investors, uh, we don't, we don't include crypto or NFTs, uh, or, or blockchain backed, uh, companies, uh, in their uh, in their investment portfolios, unless it makes sense uh, to do so. So again, right. uh, it, there's no cookie kind of formula. Uh, there could be more cases where uh, where it makes sense that a certain company and uh, investing in uh, uh, or related to the crypto market makes sense in someone's portfolio. Then yes, uh, in those cases, we do invest. We would invest them there. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, just like with anything, no cookie cutter approach. But in terms of like sound financial decisions and long-term planning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it sounds like not something that is a, a major part of the, um, the kind of like choices or criteria that you incorporate into uh, your client strategies. Uh, but one, exactly. uh, one last thing I wanted to mention was real estate. Uh, like I obviously, I personally believe real estate needs to be a part of everyone's investment strategy. Uh, not just because I'm a realtor, but also because I'm an investor myself. Uh, and that was before, again, I became a realtor, right? I've been investing for 10 years and I've been a realtor for three. 
in fact, in episode 14 of Storytime, Real Estate Investing 101, I talk about many of the ways folks can invest in real estate, including syndications, which of course I take part in myself through you guys. But are there any particular tips or strategies you like to share when it comes to investing in real estate? Uh, let's say for beginners. Sure. So, um, so, so something about real estate is that uh, while it does tend to be a very, uh, a very good investment, but it brings a lot of stability in your entire investment portfolio. Uh, it does require a large capital investment that you need to fund. So you would at least need to fund the right. down payment on a certain uh, uh, amount uh, into uh, into it. Now, there are certain alternatives that's available out there. So these are something that you may or may not be familiar with are called REITs. So these are real estate investment trusts where, where you have a trust that owns a lot of properties across the country and you can buy in with into these REITs with as low as $10,000 or maybe so, uh, less in some cases. And, um, and you aren't tied up to the REIT for long periods of time like you would in an actual property. So REITs can have uh, lock-in periods of maybe a year or less uh, or more, uh, depending on uh, depending on the type of REITs. So now REITs, again, give you the benefit of real estate investing. So as in when you buy into a REIT, you do go out there and you buy properties and maybe some other real estate products. And the dividends that you get paid out uh, from your REIT investments are more net dense collected from the properties that the REITs are invested in. So you see growth while investing in REITs are in the, one in the form of property appreciation. So as your properties appreciate, the value of your investment into REITs appreciates. And at the same time, from uh, as I mentioned, from the rents being collected from these properties, which are again paid back to the owners, uh, which is you, uh, in the form of dividend. Right. Right. And it's a, that's, it's a good way to diversify too. You can get access to lots of different kind of, like I've invested in REITs and different types of properties, different parts of the country, all that kind of stuff without doing that like large upfront investment. So yeah, totally agree. That's something that folks, especially beginners uh, can explore. So also we've obviously talked about a lot of different areas here and you and the Hoopo team work with all sorts of clients as we've discussed, but is there a particular story or example that sticks out to you when it comes to either someone who's handled their situation well, or maybe someone who hasn't that our listeners can learn from? Yeah. So one case that I remember uh, is of, of is, is when I worked with a client who, uh, who, you know, who, who had good income. And uh, he had most of his financials in order. He, uh, he had a good amount of savings. He had different kinds of accounts. He had uh, different IRAs. He had uh, investment accounts uh, that, that had big up a good amount of deposit uh, value in them. But, uh, but the problem that he faced was that he worked with too many advisors and his money was sitting in too many different institutions. So he worked, he had some accounts at Fidelity, some accounts at Vanguard, some accounts at Schwab. And, uh, and what advisors in those firms there is that they pushed certain products on, on his, uh, on his accounts, which in, which, which you could say they were incentivized to, uh, in a sense, because, uh, because those, uh, those were just mutual funds and, uh, and, uh, and different kind of, uh, you know, investments, uh, in his. Uh, which which belonged to, to the same institution. So, for example, his Vanguard accounts mm. uh, only had uh, and uh, Vanguard funds. His Fidelity accounts only had Fidelity funds. Uh, right. He almost had no actual uh, public equity 
positions at all. So he had no equity, uh, even though he was suitable for it. So, uh, so, so when we when we worked with him, we were able to consolidate all those accounts, and we had a more holistic uh, approach to his uh, to his investment strategies, and we gave him uh, we gave him equity exposure, we gave him exposure to uh, to real to real estate, we gave him exposure to uh, to funds, and that uh, that has improved the overall overall health of his portfolio in terms of diversification, in terms of how it's invested, in terms of growth. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's the name of the game, right? Is uh, is 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 getting help in all those areas. I mean, it's not just about seeing your portfolio grow, uh, but you know, having it in multiple different areas, different buckets, all that kind of stuff. That's that's uh, a lot a lot more involved than just investing, uh, just starting investing in one day and and uh, without without having a plan, it's tough to really achieve your goals the way you want to. So, hundred percent agree on that. Great example. So. For our listeners, here's the deal, guys. Uh, yes, your physical and mental health are important, but I'd venture to say that for a lot of folks, your financial health is linked. Uh, becoming financially sound, putting the right processes in place for you and your family, saving efficiently and consistently, having the conversations with your loved ones and with professionals like Asa uh, and his team around your financial goals uh, and planning around them, these things don't happen overnight. They take effort. Also, that I talked about that earlier. Investing takes effort. Uh, it, regardless of what you're investing, it doesn't happen overnight. So uh, the results, they don't come overnight. So also, that I challenge you to start the process. There are a few different variations of this quote I've read, but I think it's so true. And I think, Asa, you'd probably agree. The financial decisions you make today, you'll see the results from those not tomorrow, not next week, or even next year, but five, 10, 20 years down the line. So don't delay. Start your process and get your money working for you as best as you can. Also, thanks for jumping on today, man. I appreciate all your insight and all your support. It was an honor, Saad. Thanks for having me. For sure. Thanks for joining us today. Storytime is a production of Refillion Media. It's produced by Ari Mathay. Follow me at Saad Munir. That's S-A-A-D-M-U-N-1-R. And follow Tori at Tori Holmes and, of course, Hupo Advisors at Hupo Advisors. That's spelled H-O-O-P-O-E Advisors. Once again, I'm Saad Munir. Until next time.